I felt like I had to feed my family a, a certain thing mm. and I wanted to do it myself so that I could, it wasn't greenwashed and there wasn't corners cut. Uh, I, I was becoming really passionate about animal welfare and I wanted to, I wanted to see what that was like and I wanted to see, you know, what I could do in that space. That was Jacob Wolke and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer and in this podcast series I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host Charlie Arnott. G'day and welcome back to the Regenerative Journey. You'll find me in a in a in a hotel room in Bondi, and you might even hear some some people walking down the corridor. Um, Lily is in the room, but she's being very quiet. And um, uh, we are in Sydney for the weekend, so I just uh, needed to punch out a bit of podcast action. And um, and here we are. So if you hear some rumbling outside or kids in the corridor, then please excuse me. Um, now, this week on The Regenerative Journey, um, the interview I have done is with Jake Walkie of Walkie Farms down there at Albury. Um, I'll get to him in a minute, but just a quick one. I just wanted to um, – I just got to find it here on my phone now. I just – I did a bit of a call out a little while ago about, um, uh, you know, I was really keen to see or understand, hear of anyone who had um, experiences through listening to The Regenerative Journey – of then, people <laughs> are bouncing on the bed there, um, through the Regenerative Journey podcast and episodes and guests having been inspired to do things on the back of that and how that might have changed your life. So um, Fraser Pogue from uh, North Victoria there, um, who was in, he's actually featured in the him and his family and his farm there in the movie 2040, Damon Gamow's awesome movie from a couple of years ago. Um, Good Dirt is their business and their Instagram handle and all that sort of stuff, and they're doing some amazing, growing some amazing food. One of them is actually a, a popcorn that pops on the cob. Um, so <laughs> they're very um, uh, real entrepreneurs and um, doing amazing things with um, with his farm in a regenerative, you know, regenerative practices. But, you know, I was very grateful that Fraser got in touch with me and he said, just responding to your podcast I heard yesterday, I spoke with you a while ago about our organic popcorn on the cob. Organic, I didn't mention that before, but it is organic. Anyway, I think your podcast is great and it has actually resulted in some action on the ground. After listening to your podcast with Jason Cotter, I decided to cold call him and have a chat. So Jason, um, at Turong Farm down there in Mornington Peninsula in Victoria, grows heirloom heritage, ancient grains and that sort of thing, and um, he actually won. I think he won the, the Australian Delicious Award, like as a national award for um, uh, from the paddock. I think I'm right in saying that. I hope, Jason, I'm not putting you on the spot there, but um, amazing stuff, lovely bloke and such a good yarn. So I can't remember what episode that is, but check it out. Anyway, 
Fraser got in touch with him. Uh, we got along great, and I'm now growing some organic wheat for him. Awesome. We have some other ideas in the pipeline on how to work together. Also, after the Our Cow episode um, with Dave and Bianca, I decided to send them a box of our popcorn, no strings attached. They are now stocking it on their website. We'd love to, f- to chat further at any stage if you're interested. Um, cheers, Fraser. That is awesome. They're the sort of stories I hear. I hear them sort of on grapevines. I bump into people and I hear it. So really lovely to have that to share with you. And look, it is pumping my tyres up a, a tad, but um, not for any other purpose that to sort of highlight, I guess for me and, and maybe for you guys as well, that uh, the impact of, of this podcast and lots of other podcasts that are, you know, this is the whole idea, isn't it? That you listen, you learn, you pick, you know, pick bits, you drop bits out, you just, take on board what you want and if it does indeed result in a changes in practice philosophy behaviors habits whatever it is i just think that's a wonderful thing i'm i'm really honored that people um think enough about the website the 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 podcast to listen in the first place so thank you listening to this now um i think the think the guests are worthy of hanging in there and uh, listening and then um inspiring enough to Take action, which is awesome. Really good. Talking about taking action, one bloke who is good at taking action is 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 Jake Walkie of Walkie Farms down there in Aubrey. Um, he has Walkie Farm. He has Walkie Farm shop. It's in town. It's just sort of attached to their um, family's um, bicycle shop, massive bicycle shop there. And he is just a dynamo. He's got his chickens and his his meat birds and his egg birds. He's got. Um, beef, he's got um, pork, he's got all sorts of wonderful things. He's going some veg too there from memory. It was a few months ago I did the interview. But what a dynamo. And he's um, uh, – and Goonies, yeah, sort of sort of big – he's good mates with um, Anthony um, Chaffee and um, uh, who else? Yeah, Max Culhane who's down that part of the world as well. Um, Pran Yaganathon, uh, he did a, a, a gig down there a few months ago, which I sadly missed, but he's really – Great on social media. He's doing some really good things um, in su- in supplying nutrient dense food to people locally. His butcher shop's quite unique in that um, uh, you're a, you you become a member and it's all it's 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 no one's in there. You go in there, you have got your code, you do your do your biz, grab your meat, off you go, pay for it, and bingo, you're done. And um, that's a really bloody smart idea, I think, because he didn't want to let sort of the cost of labour and and sort of any other hurdle get in the way of supplying good quality meat. Um, you know, we're talking food mile, uh, food, food meters, food miles, um, very close and handy. So that's I just fantastic. Sat with him quite late in the day. Actually, um, <laughs> it was getting dark. It was getting quite dark. But um, look, that's that's now. That's the next one. That's the one you're going to tune into right now. Uh, Jake Walkey Walkey Farms down there at Aubrey um, on the regenerative journey uh, right now. Enjoy. Jake. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Jake, uh, welcome to the Regenerative Journey and welcome to the – is this the back or the front? It's like the back veranda, isn't it? It's the back veranda. Back veranda of mum and dad's place. The land surrounding uh, of which you are leasing. That's right. Um, and we're looking out at – some activity. A car looks like it's about to get bogged. No. Um, some other people. Tell us what we're looking at. And, so, and, he- and hello. So we've got my father chasing 
one of the hunting dogs because it was assaulting oh, that, that's, my... That's Terry in the car. Yeah, the dog was assaulting my new pullets and that's my sister and her friend who were trying to help and couldn't catch the dog. Apart from that, it's a very peaceful place. <laughs> oh, it's amazing because we went... Um, your mother very kindly um, arranged another room at the front of the house, uh, which was nice and cosy and good ambience. Well, the, the acoustics were good, but... Um, we've come out the back because we're looking out at a fair part of the farm, aren't we? You can see a fair bit of... Yeah, you can see just about everything. She's made me tuck all the eyesore stuff out of the back of the house view, the brooding shed and, you know, the, 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 the pile of scrap and, and all that too. stuff and the compost heaps around that side. Yeah, this is the Christmas view when we have Christmas lunch out here with the family. This is beautiful. I've Pretty wet. You've had a bit of rain, yeah? Heaps of rain. I've had to put it in our grazing plan that we can't have um, cattle out the back here the month before Christmas, otherwise the flies upset mum's oh, Christmas right. celebrations. Poo everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so why, why don't you – here comes that cat again. Why don't you um, give us a bit of – I mean, my, I always start my interviews with, you know, well, hoping I've snagged my guests in their happy place. This looks like a pretty happy place, and it's certainly the farm on which – or one of them that you're – doing your amazing work on. So let's start with, you know, how does it feel? What does it mean to you to be sitting here looking at, you know, what, what looks like a fair bit of um, fair bit of hard work? You've got help here and there by the look of it. But it's actually really interesting looking at this because I don't often sit, get to see this uh, view at this time of day for this amount of time. Like normally this time in the afternoon I'm heading into town to go do family life. Because we live in town. So you, you, you've knocked off by now, can't yeah. you? Yep. Normally I'm heading home and go visit the wife and the kids and check on everyone. So I get to see all this in the morning, but not normally in the evening. And is you feel guilty? About what? About sitting here looking at it. Not no, not at all. No. I, f- I just don't often take time to sit down. That's <laughs> not a guilt thing. It's well, just... t- tell us what we're seeing here because um, you gave us a bit of a rundown. Of it. And actually, this is the spot because we can actually see it, be inspired by it. You can t- talk us through. what. Tell us what happens here at, at uh, Walkie Farm. You're, you're a fair bit. Well, what's in our view at the moment is we've got our little mob of ewes here. These are our maiden ewes. There's about 70 of them. They're a composite called Catalyst, and they've just started lambing. So we've got about a dozen lambs on the ground. The going. And they're just in their little cell there. And then to the south of it, you've got our new prairie schooner, which is a big hoop house on skids. It's essentially a greenhouse that's on big metal skids, and that has 700 broilers inside of it. They're a meat bird that gets dragged along every day. One of my eggmobiles, which has 300 laying hens in it. I've got three eggmobiles behind the Eggmobile, you can't see it from here because they're camouflaged well, but there's one of my little groups of pigs, pastured pigs. And then to the south, but we can't see it from here, but I've got one of my mobs of cattle. My beehives are down there too. I've got about 20 beehives. There's more pigs on the other side. And both my other lease blocks just have cattle on them at the moment. We've kept all the intensive stuff here. Because this is, this is the main sort of focus. It's, just, it's and, the closest. It makes sense to have it all. Yep. Yeah, cool. And tell me why, why are you doing it? The, I had a bit of, I've been on a health journey, Charlie. I have never been a super healthy person historically. Lots of rashes and allergies and all sorts of things. And I just went through the, the system as you do. I 
you know, dad used to come in and when I was a little kid and peel the sheets off my legs in the morning because I'd scratch my legs in my sleep and then my legs would bleed and the sheets would stick to my legs. So it used to be this ritual day to come in and peel the leg, the sheets off my leg and put betadine on me and wrap me up and send me to school. And I've been allergic to everything you can think of. I'm allergic to grass, dust, cats. So we've got a good trifecta going on here right now. Mm. Uh, I used to go to Melbourne for the uh, desensitize, desensitization injections. And one day I went to the doctor, my local GP, this is about four or five years ago, and I just said to her, I'm fed up, I've had enough, I can't handle these allergies and the impact on my quality of life anymore, and I've got a few different businesses in town and all my family's in town, and I said to her, if you don't fix me, I'm going to sell the whole lot and move to the coast, because I've always realised that I feel a little bit better when I'm next to that ocean breeze. And I asked, I said, I want the steroid shot. She goes, I'm not going to give you steroids. You're too young and fit and healthy. And I said, there's nothing fit and healthy about me. Give me the what stinking age, shot. What age were you? Oh, geez, I must have been 27. <clears throat> uh, and to her credit, she didn't give it to me. I'm, I'm eternally thankful in retrospect that I didn't get it. But she upped my scripts. So at that time, I was on a script, nose spray, eye drop, and tablet all for my allergies. And I went straight out to the chemist and cashed my scripts. And before I'd left the store, I'd taken a double dose up each nostril of my nasal spray. And just as I walked out of the store, my nose started bleeding as if someone had turned a tap on all down my shirt, just gushing out of my face. And I'm thinking, this is no better than the stinking allergy itself. Um, so we went up, my, my wife, who's a lot more astute and uh, in tune with her health and surroundings than I am, took me on a bit of a journey. And we ended up going down the whole foods, organic foods path. And I, I was really... I guess once I went down that rabbit hole, I was really dogmatic about the food that I wanted. You know, I wanted grass-fed and finished. I wanted it from animals that um, had been in holistic systems, that hadn't been medicated and drenched and things. And I went to the farmer's markets and I couldn't find, you know, precisely what I wanted. All of them were sort of doing something that, to my sort of naive understanding, still didn't suit what I wanted. And mum and dad have this 45 hectares here. And I said, can I put a couple of cows put some chickens in a caravan. So I bought about 16 chickens and put them in a caravan. It wasn't renovated, like just a full caravan. I broke a bale of hay in the bottom and tech screwed some milk crates to the wall. And I started moving cows around and chasing them with chooks just because I wanted the beef and the eggs for myself as a part of our food healing journey at home. And how long ago was this? Just to 2019. Okay, not that long ago. 2023 now, four years. Yep. <clears throat> Actually, I met you in 2019. Yeah, we met at the uh, worm farm. Yeah, the Nutrisoil. Nutrisoil there. Yeah, yeah that's I right. think I think it that weekend. May, yeah, it was May May twenty nineteen. You had your first podcast recorded at that event, if I remember correctly. Yeah, first two actually, yep. Martin Royds and Joel Sutton. Yeah, so they well, that's yeah, okay. There's a nice, nice little place marker, and so so chickens and cattle. You were you were you were dead set going to get your yourself some homegrown meat. Yep, I want eggs. We want a grass-fed beef from the block, you know, with with out of organic pastures, and we wanted some good quality eggs, and that's where we started. And you know, if you're going to move one cow every day, it's just as easy, or even easier, I'd argue, to move twenty cows every day. So we we got a little mob and started moving them around, and some people wanted to start buying it off me. So I just thought this is a good little. We, did, you, did you advertise or you just... <clears throat> well, I, I document every, every part of my life, every moment of my life's documented on social. I, right. I overshare. So people saw, hang on, he's got cows, we could eat them. Good looking cows. They were some beautiful Hereford heifers. Mm. They're really nice. 
yeah, and I, I went to the local butcher and got one cut up, and he said, that's pretty good beef. And then I bought some pigs, put them in the front paddock, didn't rotate them or anything. That was all here? Yeah, yeah. that was near the near the dam. I was, you know, back then, four years ago, they were sleeping in the dam all day and smashing the whole paddock, and I was feeding them swill. I didn't know you weren't meant to. Like, it was <laughs> doing everything everything wrong. We no, we're not meant to from a legal point of view. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> It's pig food. It's it's certified organic. I wish I could fresh feed them pig still. food. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh yes, I guess if you're selling it, is that is that a rule? Is it? It's illegal to feed pigs swill in Australia, whether it's for you know commercial production or not. It's it's a foot and mouth thing. What constitutes swill? Swill is um, animal products, so like meat, dairy, cheese, eggs. So swill is those products or any vegetable product that's been in contact with it. So if you chopped up some chicken breast on a chopping board and then chopped up a lettuce on that chopping board, that lettuce is now contaminated. You can't give it to the pigs. And that's what foot and mouth. Yeah, they're (laughs) they're worried about uh, disease outbreaks from the pigs eating um, animal matter. Are they worried about that or is that just an excuse to... That's what they they say. It's one of the reasons that all the imported pork's boneless as well, all the imported pork products... You wonder why a place like Australia has to import pork, yeah. but are they bringing rolled roasts boneless because they're worried, allegedly worried about diseases in the marrow and that might be in the bone in the marrow. Yeah. So that was the beginning. Let's, you know what? I'm going to let's go back, back in time, so that we can we can, we'll get back to that spot in 2019 and then beyond. But when where did uh, where did Jake where where did you start your your life? So I was born here in Albury. Uh, uh, in 1990, mum and dad had a bricks and mortar retail store. My, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, came to Australia about 65 years ago from Germany as a uh, toolmaker, tradesman. Yeah, he was 20 years old. Those and Germans would make good tools. Aren't they? Yeah, he was. He was a good tradesman, I believe. Anyway, not that I've seen him in action, but I've, I've seen him fix things around the house, and he's a, he's a clever fellow. So he landed in Adelaide, and uh, went through a. a a bunch of different jobs, like a serious number, or something like sixty jobs in three years. Uh, he was hot-headed, and he'd crack the sads and walk out, and ended up um, doing a few different things. But anyway, came to Aubrey and took over a fast food chicken shop called Bird's Nest Barbecue Chicken, and that's what brought the family to the area. So I was born here. Mum and Dad had a retail gift store on Dean Street, which is the main street of Aubrey, called selling denim jeans and basketball cards and dream catchers, wigs, you know, just all it was a real eclectic really? mix of things. Uh, and then dad purchased a record store selling CDs and DVDs and mum kept running the gift shop. And I left school. Dad tried to get me to leave school in year nine. He wanted to sign me out to go work for him. And I, remember, I still remember <laughs> sitting down talking to mum and dad about it. And dad's like, Lee, he's not learning anything at school. He come with me and, you know, he can learn stuff on the job. And, and mum wasn't really, I don't remember her being enormously put off at the thought of it, but I think it was more about keeping up appearances. It didn't want to be that person. So she's like, oh, I think Jake should just finish year 10 and see how he um, goes. I don't even know if I did finish year 10 because as soon as as soon as soon teachers stopped asking me, are you coming in for tomorrow's exam? I just told dad I was done and stopped going. So, so you were still in year nine, or, or in year ten? No, I was, I was doing like year, I was doing all my, I was doing all oh, the year yeah. ten exams. I'm just not sure quite how that all wrapped. I was thinking about it the other day, going, I don't even know if I finished. But then I went to work with my father in the record store for four years, and 
at that time, the record industry, you know, I think I'd been in, in it for two years and the record industry started crashing. I remember a customer came in and said, do you have the new Arctic Monkeys album? And I looked it up and I said, oh, it's due in a month. We had a bit of a conversation about it and they came in the next day and said, oh, that new Arctic Monkeys album is really good. I said, what do you mean? I just told you yesterday. It's a month away. They said, oh, I downloaded it last night. Yeah, I said, how uh, does that work? And they said, oh, you downloaded, I think it was LimeWire back then or something. Yes, so, yeah. So I downloaded whatever app it was in the torrent and I downloaded the album and I went out the back. Dad was sitting out the back paying bills or doing wages and I said to Dad, we're stuffed. This album that's not due for a month and it's going to cost $35, I just downloaded in a minute for free. And, uh, and my, my grandpa and uncle had another dozen record stores and they're all in shopping centres, you know, centre points in Westfields and um, the family just got smoked by it. Uh, so Dad and I were lucky. We, they only had the one record store, so we were able to work the lease out. All the staff got sent home and said, sorry, we, we can't do anything there, and we were able to work the lease out. And the demographic of where we were it probably saved us a little bit too. Older, ageing population that weren't as savvy to download. Right, so there was, a, there was a slower transition. Yeah. Yeah, well. And just before we closed the store, just before the lease was up, we purchased a bicycle shop in town. Sorry. That's really loud, isn't it? Yeah. Is there an airport here? We're right under the airport. The yep. um, the Aubrey Airport? ABX, yep. Yeah, you're right. Oh, we're east. Are we pretty much, because that's pretty much east of town, isn't it? Yeah, so airport. airport's between us and town. Yeah, right. It's, it's probably like three kilometres just there. Well, it can't be far because that bloody plane was just... You can feel it, couldn't Yeah, you? Jesus. Um, so, so, sorry, so back to the... You bought a... Bicycle shop. Bicycle shop. And I purchased... I bought into that with my parents. It was called uh, Push Bikes. As we purchased that in July 1st, 2011. We settled on that. And it went really well. We grew, I grew it. I sort of really took that... I stepped up a bit. Before then, I remember Dad used to get cross with me because I'd turn up to work late or, um, you know, I'd sleep in and, and miss my lift to work when I didn't have my licence yet and Dad was always writing me about all that stuff. But then when we purchased the bike shop and I had a bit of skin in the game, I stepped up and really started, you know, trying my best and took a bit of ownership. And a couple of years into that, it was growing really well and Mum and Dad purchased the bowling club, which was across the street, the old Windsor Park Bowling Club, which was derelict. And... Demolished that and built a new purpose-made building for our bike shop, which we moved into that building July 1st, 2014. You know, that German background, we like to do things with the financial calendar. <laughs> and we opened a cafe in there. So we've got a cafe that we uh, run there as well. Called So the bike shop got rebranded to Cycle Station. The cafe is called Cafe Musette. They're both seven-day-week businesses, and I still manage them for the family. Mum and Dad are both retired. And I started... My staff took me off the roster. Uh, must have been like late 2020 because they used to get, I'd come out here to collect eggs and then I'd run behind time because, you know, the cows got out or whatever it was. So I'd call the staff and go, oh, could you please lock the shop for me? I'm not going to make it. And after a couple of months, they said, Jake, Don't. it's probably just easier if you're not on the roster at all at this <clears throat> yeah. stage. Go and play farmer. Yep. So I've been off the roster for a couple of years and I've been doing more of this. And then the farming sort of, Started to get going, so my wife and I purchased a butchery in 2020 and uh, to process our own protein. Was it that? I didn't think it was that long ago. Was, we settled three years ago yesterday. Yeah, well, we'll get back to that. So tell me, um, uh, so life as uh, Aubrey, you, your mum, you, you grew up here? 
Yes. No. Yeah. Oh, Mum and Dad purchased this place about 20 years ago and built, so I only lived here a couple of years before I went and got married. And so, co- so connection with farm, farming, animals, apart from Nothing. I want eggs and beef yeah. at some point, yeah. Yeah, well, what was the, what, like, because you could have just maybe sourced some better eggs and beef or, I don't know, driven a bit further or got it online or something, but you, what, why? So not, no, not much touch point with farming before then? No, so this block was, it, all these 100-acre blocks, you know, all the way down this street really are just glorified hobby blocks. Everyone's got horses. You know, we used to have motorbikes and, and paddock bashes and build jumps and have bonfires and let firecrackers off. And so lots of grass of, and not much else. We used to, I remember Dad would get about 40 steers every year and move them. We got this, this farm's in five paddocks and he'd move them from one paddock to the other till the feed started getting thin and then he'd open the whole place up and let him have all of it and that was the program. But, but we were never, I remember Dad used to ask me to help him get them in the yard so they could go on the sales truck and I used to really piss and moan about it. I didn't want to, I wanted to stay inside and watch telly. I didn't want to go outside and chase cows. <laughs> I was an Xbox kid. So, so the motivation to get involved with, far, with the farm and get a bit serious was, 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 was health. And I think having kids, I started taking an interest in gardening a bit at home and I'd rather, I'd rather raise cattle than carrots. Cows are easier. So we did a little bit of organic gardening at home with my boy and my firstborn and I think having children really changes your perspective on a lot of things. And right. it's, I tell you what, it's great to bring the boys out here and chase chooks and... So what about what about children changes your perspective? Uh, I think you've got you've got two. I've got two boys, five and two, and my wife's due in three weeks with our third Mm -hmm. child. Um, What what yeah? What perspective changes? Well, I think as a parent, you you start becoming. Well, I started becoming a lot more deliberate about what I was doing with my time because I was realizing that you know everything I did was an example. Every action you do whether you intend it to be or not, is setting an example for your child. And instead of coming home from working a big day in the bike shop and cracking a beer and watching TV for the next three or four hours, I thought, like, that's not really what I'd like my kids to be doing in 20 or 30 years' time. Um, so we, I started, yeah, getting – everything sort of came together. There was a, bit, there was a real sort of apex for me, Charlie, because I was on a real – uh, welfare journey as well. I'd, I'd watched a few things and done a bit of research, and I really wasn't excited about, you know, what I saw happening in in big ag. You know, and when you're watching those documentaries, you know as well as I, you're seeing the worst of the worst. But I had this health stuff going on, the kids arriving, and then I was a bit disenfranchised with looking at footage of feedlots and factory farms, and it all just sort of clicked for me all of a sudden. I'm like, well, we've got a, I've got a bit of easy access to land here. I can go outside and buy some poly wire. Was that, a, was that, like, how did you, yeah, how did you start? Because, I mean, did you Google? Did you read a book? Did you, was there someone around that you, that mentored you somewhat? Like, or you just went, I'm just going to, I don't know, wade your way into it and try this and do that? Well, I definitely learned better by doing uh, like I like reading and, and watching videos and everything else, but, you know, hands-on is great. But I've, it was Joel Salatin that really uh, set it up for me. You know, I was, like I said, I started with gardening. You know, the, when we started wanting good quality food, the first, because I had a backyard and I've, so I put some raised beds in and started growing carrots and asparagus and whatever else. And I was watching 
a homesteader in America called Justin Rhodes. He does this great American farm tour. So he puts his kids on a bus that he's renovated into a motorhome and he drives. His idea was to go around the whole northern USA and visit all these cool farms. And one of the farmers, I was watching a gardening one because that's what I was interested in, and there was a thumbnail on the side and it said something like, this man buys land for $20 an acre. And I knew it was clickbait, but I couldn't not click it. And it was Joel Salatin um, showing how he was doubling the ca- potential capacity of his property with $20 of infrastructure per acre. That was the idea of the video. And, you know, the way Joel talks and the way he sells the story, and it just became, you know, collecting eggs had never seemed romantic to me before. And I'm like, that, that looks really fun. I want, <laughs> I want some chickens. Is it still romantic? Yeah. I'll tell you, I don't, I don't do chores on the farm that often. Like, I've got boys out here that, you know, there's different parts of the business that I'm working on at the moment. But if things get hectic for me, I, I drive out here and go do chores. It's very relaxing. So that's, that's relaxing. A, bit of, a bit of therapy. Yeah, it's great. It's cathartic and it's, it's um, I just listen to it. You know, you're out there, that there's no customers barking at you and no phones ringing and it, it's beautiful. Birds tweeting. Yep. Bees buzzing somewhere. Um, so, so, so experimenting. Joel Sutherland inspiration. Well, he was there at the, yeah, at the uh, well, the stores. Yeah, had you you'd heard of him before that? Like you'd had a whiff of him and gone. Yeah, I've oh, been be watching him for a few months online, and he actually went to Ben Falloon's farm in Woodend Taranaki Farm and ran a two day workshop a month before that Nutrisoil event. So I went to that workshop for the weekend and had a he'd, blast. He'd been there a couple of times. Mm. That's right. And then yeah. I think he went to South Africa and then came back to Australia. Like he's he, you know, at the end of that tour, he'd been away for the longest he'd ever been away. And I can't remember quite when we saw him at Nutrisoils. I can't remember quite the, the period of time, but weeks and weeks, and he was absolutely shagged. Yeah, I mean, and I'll tell you what, uh, what a lovely bloke because I I, I interviewed him. It's worth noting because he's because because of, of the quality of the the man. He done months away. He was buggered. We did that interview the night before. We literally put the turned the thing off and went and had dinner. And he was in bed. He crashed, and I picked him up. I was probably five thirty the next morning. We were staying in the same house, and I dropped him at the airport just here. Mm. And he flew to Sydney, and then Sydney straight home. Like he was absolutely. But I tell you what. What a what a bloke to keep on pushing and giving and explaining and just such a lovely sub lovely lovely guy. So I'm not surprised he's an inspiration given you'd reference him before when we got here looking at your 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 chickens down there. Um so more of that, what were some of the challenges? So so you'd set yourself, you know, somewhat of a target to grow your own food, you had land, you were um so the the chicken egg chickens and the the beef were the first experiments. What came next? I actually, I think it was uh, the end of year 2019 or it could have been 2018, but I'd set myself a goal. I wanted to have a whole month where I didn't eat anything that I didn't grow. And I was thinking, you know, oh, this will probably be right at the end of the year. This is my New Year's resolution, but I'm going to need a long time to set myself up. But I want to go 30 days where I only eat things that I've grown. Um, I didn't quite get that because I probably I got a bit sidetracked as I tend to do but you know you ate a few muffins from the shop in town yeah yeah some that coffee yeah I drink a little bit of, well we got a cafe so by nature I have to what about you couldn't so you couldn't have tea and coffee 
Did you have or, or didn't that count? That well, was, they I, didn't qualify. I actually never got to the point where I sat set a month aside to achieve it because it only took a few months and all of a sudden 100% of our meat and protein was coming from the farm and I basically stopped eating carbs. So, you know, I never did that month where it was 100% my own stuff, but ever since then it's been 90% pretty, pretty my own much. stuff. Yep. Yeah. And why no carbs? Uh, I just feel like dirt when I eat carbs. I get pimples, I cough, I sneeze, I get a runny nose, my bowels don't work properly, I put weight on, I feel tired. When did you work that out? When Dr. Max told me that's what a, that's, you know, one of the things that was probably <laughs> contributing. When did he say that? Uh, I met Dr. Max on a farm tour, actually. Uh, it was a couple of years ago now. And it was really interesting. I, I, I do, I open the farm up for farm tours all the time. And I had one local doctor, Rob Zabo, email me after a farm tour. I didn't even know he was on the tour per se. Loved your tour, Jake. There's a couple other doctors in town. We'd love to come out and, have a bit of a private tour if you'd let us. And he brought Max out, and that's when I met Max. So Max, because I just interviewed Max this morning, and so he said he's working with uh, Robert. Yep. And so he'd already – he's known him for a few years, and, and it was down here. Okay, that's all filling in a few few gaps there for me. That's great. And and then they came out because they were just interested in what you're doing? Or what did they, did they – Well, they're very bullish on meat. You know, they think that great quality meat is a keystone to health. And so when they're working with their patients in clinic, they one of the things they refer their patients to do is eat better, you know, eat eat make better choices, but and they take them down that path of it's actually important where you source those ingredients. So, you know, not all beef's equal or not all eggs are equal. So they were coming out here to do due diligence, really. I think Dr. Robs and Max themselves have probably been on half a dozen tours each now. Yep. Um, and they are they I would guess they're here to support you too. And you know, there's only so many times you can see a farm, you know, differently. But well, I guess Rob comes, Doctor Rob comes to a lot of my events. We run a lot of workshops and events, and he loves just coming along and getting involved with the community. Uh, Doctor Max uh, co-hosts a lot of my farm tours with me now, so mm-hmm. we do tours all the time. And he asked a little when he moved to Aubrey, he said, "Can I come and co-host some of the tours with you?" To you know, good way for him to meet some people and oh, totally. build a bit of reputation. And that's been lots of fun because, you know, I I talk and talk and talk. Our tours go for three, four plus hours and I make a lot of audacious claims and I can't always back them up. <laughs> uh, but uh, Dr. Max often can. You, you, so. you defer to Max yeah. for, the, uh, it's hot for, the, for the for the for the science. I just the science him, that one's you. <laughs> I, I just said we can reverse type two diabetes with food. I got no idea how we're going to do it, though. Max, you can take that. That's a classic. Um, so eggs and beef, and then um, what came next? It's really interesting. There's a there's a farm just north of here, West Waller Farm. They're partially raised egg producers, and I bumped into them. West Waller. West Waller Farm. I bumped into them early in the piece and bought a couple piglets. They had Wessex Saddleback pigs, which they don't do pork anymore, but they were doing a bit of pork then. And I said, "Can I buy a couple wieners?" I think I bought four wiener pigs off them and put them in that front dam paddock. And I still remember going to the local ag store buying. I think I was on Google going, "What do pigs eat?" I was at the ag store, I bought 20 <laughs> kilos of corn, 20 kilos of wheat. You know, it probably cost me 40 bucks oh, a bag. Yeah, just an absolute, yeah, yeah. And, and then they were getting swill out of the house kitchen. So, like, everything, like I said, there was, I didn't know what I was doing, but I've never, that's never worried me before. And we had them in the front paddock. And when, when we processed the first body of beef, it tasted nice, but, you know, I think all beef's pretty nice. The eggs were good. I used to farm fresh eggs. Dad's always had chooks. 
But when we processed the first two pigs and ate that pigs, that was a real sort of a half thing for my wife and I. When we got married, I'm not a very good cook. I've never cooked before, but my wife's an amazing cook. And when we got married, I thought, I need to learn a few meals because we're going to have kids and I need to be able to pull few, my weight a little go bit. go-to, yeah. I need yeah, a, few, yeah. so a bit, few things up my sleeve, and I thought the best meal to start with would be a pork belly. So I started doing a pork belly. It's like every Thursday night or, or something. It was my night to experiment on my wife with my cooking. I remember I was looking at Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay, a few different chefs trying to get his tricks on a pork belly, get his tricks on a pork belly. And every time I made a pork belly, we just felt like dirt. We just we both sat on the couch, bogged down, indigestion. And it always tasted really nice. And I'm thinking, am I poisoning us? And one day Anne said, look, Jake, I think you've got to give the pork belly a rest stick to some of your other recipes. And why, so, why, why was that? Well, what was really interesting, for, I don't know exactly why that was. I've and got sorry, who said, who, who said that? My wife. She's like, yeah. give it a break because yeah. you know, something's not quite Something's not right. right. And then we, I don't know what, off the back of that, I don't know what gave me the idea to buy some pigs and raise them, but when we processed those pigs and then we ate that pork, we oh, both felt fantastic. Right, so the stuff you were buying and trying, so that so the, the trying of the so pork we, belly was before you actually grew it. It was, that's you? right. We are buying uh, it from Safeway or Aldi or the local butcher. I went to what find do you think, what local butchers. I, I think pigs are, are – I've got a real soft spot for pigs because they're such an intelligent, playful, rambunctious animal. And I, I talk about pigs being anti-fragile – which lets us abuse them so much more than we can get away with with some other animals. And I just think if you take an animal whose nature is to wallow, root around in the dirt, be social, eat an omnivorous diet, soak up sunshine, and you put it in a concrete building with no no sunshine, no dirt, I really feel like we're sinning against that animal. And it's just a natural byproduct of that, that the output's not going to be... Quite right. It's never going to bless us with good, good, good flavors and good quality, given the way we treat them. I feel like I've, I've said to the boys, my sons out here, that because we talk about it a little bit, and I say, you know, we we make the pig bitter because of the way we treat it, and that you know comes full circle. It get it sort of gets us back in the end. So I still have that today. If if we're in an event. Um, and there's you know catered event, some pork comes out, and like I always try not to eat it because I've have a hard time reconciling it but if i do it still hurts me into like physically gives me stomach pains and you can you can and, tell yeah. yeah but our yeah. stuff is and i get that feedback a lot so out of all the proteins that we offer because we offer you know chicken and lamb and everything now pork's the one that i get the most overwhelming feedback i couldn't eat it before i found yours made me crook you know yeah. most people have a pretty good time with whatever beef they're eating from my experience what well, the Porks often like commercial porks got a fair bit of antibiotic, and oh, well, I'm, I'm making a few assumptions, but there's certainly a lot more um, medications and, and inputs, uh, animal so-called animal health treatments in commercial pigs, I'd imagine. Than you know, there's there's so many things. Even the way they the way they stick balls in corner pens so that all the sows can smell them and gets them to all ovulate and you just think about how stressed all these animals are that they can smell each other and can't get to each other and yeah. it just seems like a constant state of anxiety. And then do they AI them, do they? They get them all cycling and then bingo. Yep. Yeah, right. Um, so pork has been a big hit. Yep. And then... That was a real, uh, I guess, bit of a paradigm 
shift for me because it was I was listening to all these gurus and reading all these books and and I'd bought into the fact that better meat made you feel better and I felt like I felt better but then to actually eat something that made you feel crook if it was raised this way and it made you feel great if it was raised this way that was a real sort of bingo I was like ah now I've experienced it for myself I I get it now so we do we're gonna do probably 350 pigs this year we're on track to really push through the butchery yep wow so let I want to get to the butchery a bit later um so we're still sort of in uh, what else? Uh, pork, beef, eggs. You, you're also doing the the meat birds. Yeah, down so there. we added the broilers uh, into there, and the broilers has been super challenging, uh, just in logistics, just trying to source the chicks because there's no industry for pastured poultry in Australia. It just flat out doesn't exist. So, was, so where do you get these from? These they're from broil- Tamworth. So, so we. So they're a pretty standard meat bird. They're a biata. Cobb 500 or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. They're, like the, 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 they're the KFC Safeway chicken. Right. Same bird. It's yeah. completely uneconomical. It's, it's even uneconomical to raise these, really, let alone if you tried to do some dual-purpose heritage bird. They'd be $100 chicken's. You'd never get anywhere with it. So, what's, what's, um, what about the um, – uh, oh, what's the what's the famous – well, the well, the famous is probably not the right word. The um, meat birds, the – Australian bread, summer lad, summer lad. Yep, have you tried them? I haven't eaten one, and I'm and I'm sure they're great. But what do they sell for? I don't know. I'm pretty sure, like I'm pretty sure they weren't far off a hundred bucks a bird. A bird, as in in the store, a whole chook. Yeah, yeah. So like I, these things, I can finish them off in six or seven weeks, and I'm still retailing them for thirty five dollars. That's a whole raw bird. Six six or seven weeks um, from when you get them as a day old. That's right, and that's fully grown. Yeah. That'll yeah. be a size 1.6 kilo hole. Re- yeah, ready rocks, to go. Chook, ready to rock. And it's still $35. Customers can go and buy one cooked in a bag, hot, ready to go for eight bucks. So how does that economics work for that end of it? You know, the $8, like, it's like those, the, the Jamie Oliver, no, um, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Ferling, Winning Store did that, that thing, you know, River Cottage thing mm. with the, the, um, is it two pound birds in a Tesco or somewhere? And he sort of it was fat. Have you seen that one? No. Oh, you love it. It was is fascinating. Um, River Cottage, Hugh Fernley, winning store legend, and he had his, he's done a salmon campaign and, and sort of all the buy, buy, buy whatever is it the 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 extra fish that they catch that they throw back over. Mm. He did one big doco sort of show on that one. He did this chicken one because he was just emphasising. As we, as you have just now, like two, you know, bird, dead bird, dead bird, side by side. Uh, one is eight dollars and one is thirty five. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something going on there. There's, there's the economics of that. There must is pointing to a very different management and 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 production system there. Which well, is and, well, a lot of you know they're they're obviously making. In my opinion, they're making shortcuts to get to that eight dollar bird. Like that eight dollar bird <laughs> is subsidised. Now, it might not be subsidised in terms of government subsidies, or it might well be. Like, we know a lot of big business get a lot of um, big breaks, but it's subsidised by uh, animal suffering, uh, poor environmental outcomes, you know, they're, they're degrading the commons. There's a lot of, and, and then the quality itself of the end uh, product, I'd argue, isn't that great either. So there's, there's just externalised costs 
all around. So what we're trying to do here is is have no externalized costs or have absolutely minimal externalized costs. And then coupled with that, so we're like we're bleeding heart green, he's trying to do everything perfect, but then coupled with that, we've got no efficiencies and the whole industry is against this. Like it cost me four dollars it cost me three dollars fifty to get my chicken slaughtered at the abattoir. And then because of our current economy of scale, it cost me about three dollars to drive the bird to the abattoir in just in fuel and labour and then get it home again. So I'm at seven dollars just to get the bird slaughtered. Yeah. But if I was doing ten times the amount of bird, my trip to Melbourne's fixed. So yep. it's just a scale thing. Yep. So to give you an idea, Charlie, in a, if you look it up on the government um, websites, Australia is currently producing somewhere between 1.5 and 1.8 million chickens a day. Are you serious? The United States of America is a billion a week. That's with a, a billion with a B a week. <laughs> so Australia is wow. one and a half million a day. Like let's round down. And the biggest pasture poultry producer that I've been able to find in Australia, just going around on Facebook and Google and talking to people and asking those in the industry, does about 250 a week. So if you contrast that 250 birds a week to one and a half million a day, it's 0.0006%. So the industry just doesn't exist. There's absolutely... In, t- in terms of large large producers, it's just not... Well, if you, if, you, if you bundle all of us together, every single pasture poultry producer in Australia, it'd still be... 0.001% of production, if mm. we're lucky. Um, so, like, that's it's a little bit sad on one hand, but on the other hand, it's really exciting because it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new world. It's, it's a brave frontier. Yeah. You know, we, there's no more countries to explore uh, or any, you know, there, there, there's no sort of big unknowns, but there's markets that haven't been touched. How many birds in that, that, that hoop down there? That's got 700 in it. Wow. And then you'll how they will then move into what's their life their life journey? Well, so the, I've got a brooding shed here, which is a old refrigerated semi trailer van body that so I've retrofitted. You maintain the conditions That's and their right. temperature. So it's, it's called a brooding shed because you're basically mimicking a broody hen. Mm. So the, the chickens come at a day old; they're just under forty grams, and they don't have any feathers. Like they've got fluff; they can't regulate their body temperature. So you put them in the broody shed for twenty one days to put on a bit of weight and um, put on some feathers, and then they go into that schooner, I call it, and they're in there for about 21 days as well. Yep. And then uh, we, we come here at 10 o'clock at night. We, there's three of us. We load them into big plastic crates and put them on the trailer and drive them down. We leave at midnight to get to the abattoir in Melbourne, 5 a.m., unload them. Chickens all get processed. We put the... Uh, the, the crate's back on the trailer, drive home, and then someone else goes down in the refrigerator truck the next day and picks them all up again. And how many will you do in a load? All of them. You'll do 700 run go? Yep. And you'll freeze a fair few of them? I do all my meat frozen. I don't sell anything fresh. And why is that? Uh, I remember, again, coming back to Joel Salatin, he made some comment in some podcast about it early on that it was the only way to do it, and everyone I spoke to that was doing direct-to-consumer marketing all poo-pooed it they all said it was too hard selling frozen meat and, and real challenging but honestly there's that many variables and and that many peaks and troughs in production and everything trying to manage fresh inventory would just be an absolute nightmare so like my lambs that are uh, lambing here i'm going to have all the weathers ready to be processed in four or five months mm. and then i won't have lamb again for 12 yep. months yep so instead of oh, mate, letting it all go it, frozen it makes perfect sense so i've just got a few big refrigerated uh, freighters, uh, mm. frozen freezer freighters, and mm. I just stockpile meat when it's ready. 
because then you get the opportunity to actually process the animal when it's ready instead of when you need it. Yep. 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 And then yeah, you can stockpile or um and to, now let's jump to your so talking about protein and meat. You have so you bought a butchery in three years ago, twenty twenty, mm-hmm. into in Aubrey. That's What's right. it called? Walkie Butchery. I'm very creative. I'm a very. It doesn't doesn't sound um, because now is that the same one that um, you some months ago did the automatic automation automatic one? Is that the same one? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So 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 you did what two and a half years or so of um uh, of of conventional butchery? No. So we we purchased the butchery purely because it was. Very apparent that it was the biggest bottleneck in our business. You know, the local butcher who was doing my meat said he could only do a body of beef once a month and a couple of pigs a month, and there was no business case. It was, you know, it was a tiny little hobby at that point. And beyond that, all the butchers thought I was an idiot. You know, I didn't want to use. I remember one butcher told me off, said I was going to kill people because I didn't want preservatives in my bacon. He shattered me out of the shop. And so I'm like, these guys are hard to handle. They have no capacity for production. Uh, and they don't even like me. <laughs> you know? Well, they might, they might also see you as it, like you're coming in with your you're basically selling meat to people. They could be selling meat too. Too is that was yeah, that the thing? yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the, the the one butcher that ended up processing for me a couple bodies, quite a nice guy. You know, local butcher. We still we still get along, but it was just a it was just a volume thing. And so we we still was an old building in town that had just been the butchery had just closed down. It's been a famous butchery in Albury for seventy five years, run by the same family. German family doing, you know, blood sausage and all these sort of black pudding and all this old stuff. So we purchased the freehold, my wife and I, because we thought we're going to have a go at making this a going concern or not. Like, is it going to be a hobby and we do a body of beef a month or are we going to really try to feed some people? So we we purchased it, renovated it, decked it out. I put a butcher on who was working two days a week breaking beef for me and then he'd go work a day or two a week in the bike shop building bicycles for me. And then I'd ring up my neighbours and go, oh, do you want me to slash your thistles? I'll do it for free for you just to try and give my butcher something to do because we just had no work for him. But I had to give him a full-time job to get, it, to get him on board. Uh, so it was really, you know, quiet in the beginning. But I, I, I did that uh, automated thing within six months of buying it. It only just got attention a few months ago. So oh, really? It's been going for over two years. Really? Yep. That's for, so right. And how's that all going? Great. Should I explain to people? Yeah, no, go, so go, 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 do it. When when we purchased the butchery, it was only to be a process. It was a boning room, not a bricks and mortar. Come in and buy. Well, it wasn't a, wasn't a retail. Front. No, so it oh, had okay. a retail front, but I didn't want to use it uh, because, like our our production that year was benchmarked. I projected that I was going to be raising about four hundred thousand dollars worth of protein off the farm if I could get it all processed and sold, and to open up a storefront and sell 400 grand's worth of protein and pay someone, you know, 60 grand a year yeah. to sit there and sell it made absolutely no sense. And it definitely made no sense when I stepped back and it was all basically already selling anyway. Like that, everything I was producing was selling to a yeah. the organic market or to beef splits to people. So or, you just needed the, the, the facility to break it down and, right. and, and be cut out the middleman, I guess, and, and, then, and, the, and, the, and the bottleneck. And customers kept saying, when are you going to open the shop? When are you going to open the shop? I said, well, it's open. We're out the back breaking beef, but there's just no shop front because we don't need it. And I was pretty dogmatic about that. And then one 
uh, a local butcher who I was chatting to. He's got a. He's not really a butcher. He's a um, like a small goods business. Does salamis and things. He said, "Oh, when are you going to open the shop front?" I said, "Oh, never. It's not a concern. I don't know when this this, this was uh, like November the year we bought it. So if we just started processing our beef. We're going to open the shop front." I said, "Never." He goes, "You'll have it open in March." And I, I remember walking out of his store, going, "You dog," because he just dangled this goalpost in front of me, and I couldn't shake it, and I couldn't make the business work, but I couldn't get his taunt out of my head, and I was just doing, you know, the. We're a retail immigrant family, so you run all your profit and loss budgets on the back of an envelope. You go in the drawer and pull out all the old envelopes and you do your math on the back of it. And I thought I could probably make it work if I didn't have any wages out the front. Mm. So I thought I need to turn it into a big walk-in vending machine. So I got on the internet and I tried to find big vending machines and they were extremely – you can find them. Like you, can, you can buy a vending machine as big as you want and they can be frozen and – hit the button and your frozen T-bone comes out, but they're enormously expensive. Um, and only, only reason, I mean, even though they can get a big one, it's still probably not, not adequate to, you know, for a decent turnover. So just back to the drawing board, and I, I basically came up with a concept that people could enter a room using a, a unique pin or a fob card. So if you think about your 24-hour gym, how you're just allowed in and out oh, whenever yeah. you want. Yep. And then I put some, so I, I set that up and I put some security cameras in it and I found an app that my customers could download onto their smartphone. So they, so now we've got, you know, 300 and something members that turn up to the butchery, enter their unique pin in, the door cracks open, they go in. I've got about 10,000 litres of freezer space with all of our produce on display. All yours? It's all ours, Any, yeah. any others? Uh, we've just started onboarding a few uh, suppliers to help us ease out production bumps. Yeah. Um, and they come in and they pick the meat they want, Use the app. So they can open the, the yep. freezer door, pull out a T-bone. Yep, scan it, pay through the app. So I don't have any hardware there to facilitate the uh, purchase. It's all done on their private phone. So, ah, so they use their phone to scan the thing right. and then it goes through their phone yep. and the payments that sort of take place within that. Yes. Wow. And what, what about, um, obvious question is like kind of, you know, theft, people, I guess the member goes in, you know exactly when that member's gone in and if things disappear then... That's right. I know everyone that's in and out, and I've got cameras, so it's it's passive surveillance. But we've had, to my knowledge, there's been no theft in two and a half years since we've. Well, it's probably been longer. It's probably almost. Yeah, it's about that. Anyway, there's been no. I've actually seen a couple customers that I've thought of. I'll be watching the video footage, and I'm thinking they paid for three things and took four, and I'm rewinding it, zooming in. It's a bit creepy, like a bit Big Brotherish. But I'm like, something's not right here, and I've got a rule that I sleep on things. Like, I don't like to be the sort of guy that calls Jump someone on, on the phone. Oh, and, yeah. and I slept on it. And uh, it's happened a few times now, but every single time I've woken up the next morning, there's been an email from that customer, the cabana didn't scan. Could you send me an invoice? Ah, right. So it was all, or, all, above, all above board. Or there was two packs of sausages frozen together and I didn't realise, could you invoice me for it? And everyone that I've ever seen has come good. We've got to really, to, to become a member of our butchery, you have to come and do a farm tour. Uh, that's the membership. That's, that, that's the but that's the 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 criteria. The filter. There's no cost to be a member except four hours of your Sunday. Have you um have you ever knocked anyone back for membership and said no? You're not, you're not our kind of people. I haven't directly <laughs> knocked people back, but I've 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 navigated. <laughs> well, I have, you, have you just like not processed someone's membership? Accident, you know, I have. Yeah. I have deliberately forgotten people, and it's and it's felt. But you know, I've. 
I've been working in the store and people knock on the door, we'd love to be members. And I go, oh, that's great. I'd love to have you. You just have to come to a farm and explain it to them. And you can just see their eyes glaze over because they just want they just want a Gucci steak to have for their, you know, fancy dinner once oh, yeah. a week. And so I'm, they're like, not that deeper appreciation. Well, I'm just it, not that. Know? I'm not that producer. Like you're probably better off going to one of the other local butchers and getting wagyu. Like if you want something special because of the um, the brand name on it or something like that. Like it's not really mm. what we're producing for. Tell me about um, experimentation here. Like, what are some of the what are some of the things that have worked really well? Whether that's an operational thing or 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 kind of philosophies and what and what also. Let's start with that, and then I'll ask you about what things haven't worked and and what you learnt weren't. So, what are the wins? What are the learnings? I mean, it could be oh that shed shit and that one's better. Or- well, I had a big uh, Joel Salatin X wing. I don't know if you've seen them, but it's yeah. a big, it's a big, big A-frame, A-frame thing. Yeah, I built one of theirs. It was the first thing I built on the farm, and and I got three tradies out here. Two were cousins, and one was a mate that went to that Taranaki farm workshop with me back in the day. We actually Lynn's measured got one up. Down there, we got a couple. We measured him mm-hmm. and his, and drew blueprints, and came home and built it. And uh, that was a bit of a flop for us. Like it was great, six, seven hundred birds in it, whatever. But I got a little forty-five horsepower tractor here and could barely move it. Couldn't get it through half the gate, so I had to cut holes in all my fences to get it through. And ah, right. um, and yeah. what what really ended up doing it for me for that structure was if you needed to move it a decent distance, you, you couldn't because the birds all once you start dragging it because it's an open air structure, the birds jump out. And if you move it more than thirty meters, the birds sleep on the ground where the structure was. Right. So these new ones I've got here, I actually pulled that X-wing apart and I made two of those. They're my eggmobiles. They have about three hundred and fifty birds capacity each. And you lock it at night time. shut it in. Yeah. And you could drive it 50 kilometres if you want and open yeah. it up and all the birds are still with you. And yep. I can move them with my little side-by-side yes. or a ute. So yep. just far more. I've really probably started dialing things back, you know, just to make it a bit more manageable when we don't have much infrastructure here in terms of good quality roads or, or heavy machinery. So dialing back in terms of the size or the, 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 the requirement for management or, or, or labour for things? I guess I guess. Probably, yeah, and just, I guess, understanding it is only a 40 hectare farm and, and, you know, more smaller structures is probably better than less, fewer bigger ones. Yeah, okay, no, that's fair. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Because I've, I've, I've heard a similar thing. I, I know a couple of people who've got the big A-frames and, and maybe similar um, experiences, size, weight, didn't have the gear to pull it. And, and I guess the alternatives are pretty attractive, you know, the ones that are a bit more manageable. And uh, have, you got a, have you got a feather net around that one? Or I don't it? run fences. I've got marimas here ah, okay. that look after them, but I've got solar-powered uh, doors. That open and close on sunrise and sunset. So, so they they're light sensitive. Yes, we've got them oh. set up to close fifteen minutes after sun disappears. So uh, okay, they've got a bit of bit of a window to get in before the if they're sort of running late. That's one of the things I've really been, I guess, obsessing about a little bit lately. Is everyone in this little niche industry that I've found myself a part of, which is direct to consumer. Stacked enterprise, regen farmers. We all we all like to spruik animal welfare as to one of the reasons that we should be supported. But I just haven't been impressed of late 
with our level of sophistication. Like it's it's all well and good to take an animal outside. You know, I've heard that many horror stories of people that have built these and um, slept in one morning and forgot to open it and half the birds have suffocated to death. And, yeah, right. And, you know, like it's just a, it just shouldn't happen. And it doesn't, $180 and I put an automatic door on that and it's automated. That's it just, doesn't matter that's if you're just, sleeping. That's just good good sense, good labour use, sufficiency, good. good. My, my brooding shed has a cellular Wi-Fi dongle in it transmits to my phone and it shows me temperature, humidity, mm. sound, uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, everything, and it's live all the time. So if if, if it gets really loud in there because the birds are stressing at 1am, my phone will go off and I'll wake up and I can go and check on my birds. Yeah, right. And so that's it's a, that's it's, a $200 it's, investment and yeah. I've got it. So... It's bloody, and that, I mean, and that stuff is, I guess, in terms of technology. I'm not a big fan of technology for technology's sake. Doesn't look like it. No, that's exactly right. No, I had to. I was forced to do this. Um, but the like, because I, I, I think that there's, um, and I've kind of been a, a victim of it. Not a victim. Uh, in you know, like just go. Oh, that's a new. That's a new. That's the newest, flashiest thing, and I'll get it because it feels like I need it, but. You know, so there's the extreme. I just want to get it for 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 the sake of it. But there's also, um, and then you kind of, in some ways, become a a master to to that. And that could be, you know, like digital technology. It could be a you know, infrastructure that sort of technology. But I think, you know, it always is worth that that um, in investigation, research, and experimentation, isn't it? Like, because there's so much more stuff. Even the solar door. I mean, what an innovation! Yeah. You know, such a simple thing. <clears throat> Um, I thought they were on a timer, but I didn't know that they were on a light-sensitive thing, which makes more sense because I was thinking, well, what about daylight saving? I remember to change it. And but if it's all on, if it's all on this, uh, the, the the up and the down of the sun, well, that that um, makes perfect sense. There's well, definitely a line you've got to draw with the technology because every time you, if if it's just a, if you're just rolling out technology for the sake of efficiency gains, you're going to end up back at a battery hen cage facility, aren't you? So you've got to really know what you're trying to achieve. Um, well, that's a good point because there, there's there's the there's still that, you know, remaining connected with nature and doing it in a natural way. But as you say, I think, you know, um, light-sensitive door, no-brainer. Yeah. You know, your bit of tech down here for, to check on your on your chickens, that's a, that's a no-brainer. So there's, no, there's no bad... No, oh, apart from maybe Wi-Fi being down there and the chickens being zapped by Wi-Fi. I'm about, I'm about to put in um, full-spectrum UV lights in their shed for them. I feel bad for them being in the shed under fluoro, so I'm, I'm going to start experimenting with giving them different lights. Well, you know, there's ones, and it's funny how this has come up three times in the last week. When I built our office at Hennemino at home, we um, we put in fluoro lights, like your normal mm-hmm. um, uh, tube ones, but they were, and I can find out the name of it, um, a special it Argon or something. There's a, there's a particular brand that is um, not the zapping fluoro ones. And, may, look, this is 12 years ago, so there may be actually much better technologies now. But they, I reckon, I, I have replaced 20% of them and they've lasted for 12 years. Mm. And, they, and, and if, if what they are branded as is true, they're not those zapping ones. So, yeah, well, there you go. There's another, there's a, you know, these... You know um, your incremental, you know, um, uh, research. All these things are, are part of um, part of fine tuning, experimenting. 
So what else? Any other uh, – what about administration side, you know? Well, I've got a full-time bookkeeper that runs up, like looks after all of our uh, companies. So in terms of like I recommend everyone <laughs> should outsource all their paperwork because it's a nightmare. Who wants totally. to do it? If you – I don't know. If you roll out of bed one day and go, I'm going to be an accountant special. <laughs> yeah. Bags not. <laughs> not, not for me. Um, my book. Oh, it's a very. It's no doubt. It's a very niche. It's a very niche job, but 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 critical and critical is done bloody well. You know, oh, like there's one of those things that oh, I'll give it a crack, and I hope I keep up with all of the invoicing and all of the ins and outs and the and all of the you know the the compliance now is that's oh, it's brutal. Yeah, it takes not. all it takes all the fun out of it. it it's yeah. I've, it's nice to have finally gotten our businesses to the point where that's a task we don't have to worry about. Because like you said, you hire people to do it and they're better at it than you. We were always having admin issues when it was up to us to do the wages. Like when you're working on the floor and then having to do all that stuff, it's a it's a tall order. Oh no, yeah, it's but, a challenge. Um Yeah. Any, what, what about what about learnings? Any any sort of any challenges you've had that you know you might put down to Dare I say failure, or uh, you know, and you you'd gone well. It wasn't a failure because I learned X. Well, I don't know. There's probably nothing that jumps to, to mind massively. I, I could remember those first four pigs we had in the paddock, trying to load them to take them to the abattoir, and there was three of us down there: my father, my farmhand Michael, who's still with us, and myself. And we must have been trying for two hours to load two pigs. That that would have been eighty. 85 kilo pigs, so not an almost pigs. And we, we just, uh, you know, tested relationship and religion and gave up. Just thought we just can't get it on. They was, were stubborn. They just was, didn't want to go. They were stubborn and we just thought how, how much the pigs suck. Like this is the most horrible thing ever. And now, like we're sending about a dozen pigs a fortnight off for processing. And Michael, the same farmhand, he's been with me for over three years. He goes down the back, sets up the portable yards and he loads – a dozen pigs that are 100 kilos each by himself takes him half an hour. Does it so all what, was the, what was the difference? It's, well, there's so many there's so many little things, but to start for starters, we were trying to put them in a trailer that had a roof on it with the first uh, time. So the enclosed. Pigs, they don't want to go into a dark room. Yeah. You know, there's absolutely no way. Yeah. Uh, really steep ramp. We, we hodgepodge together a ramp to get them into a little makeshift cage trailer that I was trying to send them in. They don't want to go up a steep ramp. Mm. The ramp was wide enough they could turn around in it. You know, there's yeah. all, all these little one percenters, and yeah. you can you can read them. Like I read all the pig books I could get my hands on, and I watched all the YouTube videos. And people can say this to you, but even if they gave you the measurements, you still wouldn't know what to do with them. Because what if you're finishing pigs at a different size to them, or you know, there's there's so much nuance and context to it. So I, I think a lot of that stuff you can't really get it right until you just fall on your face in the mud and think to yourself, "I'm not going to do that again." Pigs are a beautiful example, though, because they're so challenging in some way and so so easy in other ways. Like we have all our pigs trained to hot wire, and I don't think we've had a pig break out of a paddock for two years. You know, it's now that we've just got our system styled, it's so nice. But in the beginning, it was very challenging to keep them. I mean, pigs are notorious for not, not being able to control that easily, but we find them a walk in the park. Our So one mob of pigs, you know, 40, 50 in one group, that's sort of what our groups max out at. Uh, that'd be less than five hours labour a week for us. So, what what sort of uh, what other fine tuning of systems have you put in place that you know you um, you learned a certain way it was a Joel Salatin thing, but then you 
um, you've fi- you've fine tuned yourself. I mean, you you you. This is a bit of an experiment. This this hoop here. And I'm drilling down this because this is a really good opportunity to to because to sort of identify the operational stuff here. You know, because that's what you're doing with you know um, different species is and and the the experimenting and the the challenges you've had, it's worth sort of drilling down. I reckon I'm, I'm fascinated with all, all because we, we're not we do pigs very poorly. We have enough bacon to put in the freezer and that sort of thing, and we're not doing meat birds. We've got our own little chickens, um, uh, hens for for eggs, but you know nothing at the scale of this. And so, tell me more. Well, this this prairie schooner that's got the 700 broilers in it is really. The, the reason I've gone to that is an animal welfare and a human welfare exercise because to run 700 birds on this farm prior to that shelter, we had 10 of your Salatin-style chicken tractors, which are those low mm. square frames on the ground. They'd have 70 birds in each, and you you know pick them up by a piece of wire with a hose threader over it, and you drag them three metres. And the staff just hated doing it because it was hard work, and you'd the... I don't think the climate in there for our area was very good for birds. Like they were, they were hot and cold a lot. Right. They were cold overnight and hot in the day, but just the way that the way it was laid out, and you know, between the staff not wanting to do it, you know, like the staff love all the guys that work here have basically come out of factory farm environments. You know, feedlots and piggeries and things. They they want a farm, but they don't want a farm like that. So they come here and they love it. They're on cloud nine. But then to hear them grumble about jobs, like I'm, I don't want to fight the staff and go, you've got to go drag those tractors. I'm like, well, obviously that's a crappy system. We just need to have a better yeah. system. So now we've got a system that's uh, allowing the vehicle to do the job for us so that, that gets towed by our ute or the tractor. But it's also allowed me to automate it. So the other chicken tractors, I had uh, buckets on top and the bucket would fill up with water and it had a gravity feed into a bell feeder for the chickens. Oh, they, these, these ones up yeah. there. Yeah, so yeah, those, I know the one, yeah. So each chicken would have 20 litres of water, each, each, each shelter. shelter and in yeah. summer, you'd have to fill them up three times a day and they still might run out. Right. But because of the way I've got 700 birds in one shelter here, I can invest in a bit more automated infrastructure and now I've got a nipple drinker with um, that's 16 metres long. It's got a nipple every you know, 80 mil or whatever it is, oh. and I'm able just to plug that in. And, no, oh, and this is flowing water all the time. Yeah, right, plug it into so, a – you've got some pipe work down there, have you? The whole yeah. – we've got two kilometres of um, ag pipe buried on the farm. so and, I probably, can get, and probably less waste too. Yeah, 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 less waste and a bit cleaner. I can get water anywhere on the farm with a 50-metre hose on this, yeah, on this property. Good. But that's an animal welfare thing. Like if you've got chickens in the paddock that are running out of water – because summer. it's hotter than normal. Yeah. And, you know, when they're running out middle of summer is not when the staff want to be out there hauling water either. <laughs> and so this is actually going to have automated feed. I've got mm. everything, feed pan systems. I've got everything in the shed ready for it. I've got an auto start generator and I'm going to line, I'm going to daisy chain up extraction fans hooked up to a solenoid in summer as well to keep airflow going when it's really, really yep. warm. Yep. And, you know, it's not enough. To, I don't think it's enough to take these birds that have been bred for hundreds of generations to be an optimised shed bird like that because that's what they are. They're a meat bird that's mm. been bred for a shed environment yep. and then we throw them in a pasture that goes three degrees overnight yeah. and 35 just, degrees yeah. in the day when they're optimised for a 23 degree environment and go, we're so good, look at how we look after our chickens. Like I don't, I don't think there's enough nuance there. Like they, they do need a little bit of help. So, yeah, so you can still, they can still, because that, that shed gets moved, it's not going on a, New fresh pasture every day, so they're every in a day, pasture yeah. environment, but they're in a one that's appropriate 
for their genetics and then and Which is their, probably probably more appropriate than if it had if it had no amendments. Like it's probably still not if you look at the context, like when we talk about animal welfare on the farm, you know, and I was down at the Mornington Peninsula Food Forum, they invited me to go down and do a presentation on animal welfare and, and Wolkie Farm. And for me, animal welfare, if you really want to get to the crux of it, you need to look at the animal in its natural context and look at what it, look at what its expressions are. And so, but like they're sort of like big fluffy words, but it's a really easy example. It's a really easy work workshop to go through especially with kids because you go you know what's a pig and they go oh it's an animal that builds a wallow lays in the mud like the first thing everyone says is what what's the natural expression of a pig it's an animal that lays in a wallow it's like okay so 99 percent of pigs that are raised for protein in australia never get to experience a wallow you know like so what's the natural expression of these animals being broilers in you know What's the context of that? Where have they come from and where are they now and how, how are we going to steward that on our farm? And it's interesting, like, we've got our, our production values on the farm. We've got our five pillars of production. And I really believe that if you get welfare right, the environment falls into place. You know, it, it's only farming practices where we're violating the animal's natural expression that are le- leading to degrading the commons. You know, it's, it's the feedlot versus the great migration argument isn't it totally um let's go to human health because you i mean i guess the catalyst as you said there in the beginning that you know some of you had your own health challenges which spurred you on to um sourcing good food better food and then that led to you having to do it yourself and then here we are today looking at these amazing enterprises You've you've recently when I say recently I think in the last six months or so you've you've had a couple of um, uh, on farm events that were not just demonstrating you know <clears throat> chickens and pigs and so on but you you've sort of heading or, or or making that connection to human health with a few doctors yes yeah you want to, you want to <clears throat> well we've had uh like we had the Australian Beef Initiative here and and then we've We've taken over a couple of different restaurants in town, so I go and work with the chefs and we we book out the venue for the whole night and, and load the kitchen up with all of our ingredients and we sell all the tickets and then we give a few keynote presentations with, with local doctors and, and, you know, those are important, like, branding and marketing events for us, but they're also, you know, that's what our mission is, is to create this beautiful food for people and get it in front of them so that they can, you know, realise their potential. Every Everyone that is a customer of ours has been on a food journey. Can I tell you quickly what my five, because I think it's a, it's probably a good... Um, you can tell me, you can tell this. me, you're not a joke. This is what it's about, yeah, what are your five what? Our, our five pillars of production on the farm. So there's a little bit of a story, I'll, I'll lead into it. Mm. Uh, a few years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, I got nominated for Young Entrepreneur of the, of the Year for our area. Aubrey. In Aubrey. Yep. Yeah, it was the local chamber of, chamber of Commerce did it. Yeah, cool. And I didn't want a bar of it. I thought it was longer than that. Before I was married, probably 10 years ago. I was just not interested at all. I just thought the whole thing was a hobnob event, and it was, newsflash. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, they nagged me, and I said, okay. And then I got the paperwork, and they wanted to nominate me, but what it actually was was they wanted me to nominate myself those events, you've got to nominate yourself and fill out all the paperwork and tell them how good you are. So I sat down and 
spent 20 minutes doing the paperwork. It was one form that I couldn't convince my bookkeeper to do for me. And I went to the event and I didn't win, you know, shock horror because I spent 20 minutes on the paperwork and my friend won it. He has a local uh, sound and lighting and entertainment installation business here, Mactronics. He came and visited me a few days later in the shop and he said, oh, hey, that was a fun night, wasn't it? Jake, how much time did you spend on your application? I said, about 20 minutes. And he's, his jaw just dropped open. I said, how much time did you spend? He said, oh, two days. Sat down and put two days. And I sort of went home and said, to him, no wonder I didn't do very well. <laughs> and I always remember one of the questions on the application was, what's your business's mission statement? And I just thought, this is, is such a waste of time because we had the bike shop and we didn't have a mission statement. We're a mum and dad business working seven days a week flying by the seat of our pants like we'd never sat down and had a brainstorming session or anything like that and so i just wrote down some mumbo jumbo it was it was you know our mission is to mobilize the community and decongest roads and and get people to enjoy their weekends with their families on the bicycle while making a profit for the ship it's like if you take the top 500 fortune 500 companies it's everyone's mission statement there's all like a little <laughs> social aspect there's all a little environmental yeah. aspect and then it's about the shareholders you know they're all crap last year i got asked by the new south wales business to well they asked they said oh we would like to nominate you for young business leader for the year, of the year for the riverina area same thing and i'm like oh yeah Oh, you've got to nominate yourself. Then they, so they kept nagging me to nominate myself, and I didn't want to do it. And then they said, oh, actually, Jake, enrolments are down a little bit because of two years of lockdowns. Can you help us out? I said, all right, I'll do it. Uh, ended up being one of their best events. All everyone, I think it was just when lockdowns were sort of easing up, so everyone crept out of the woodwork. Yeah, everyone's going, you beauty. It. Yeah, bring it on. But I, I did that paperwork, and I do have a point here, Charlie. I, I did that no, paperwork. No. <laughs> it's, good. Just, it's all talking about all the awards that I've, yeah. I've gone for. <laughs> Bump your tires up, why don't you? There was a question in there, and it, and it was essentially, what is your business's business statement? And I didn't enrol as the bike shop or as the farm. I enrolled as Jake Wolke, and these are the different spinning plates I've got at the moment. But I had a real different story to tell from the farm's point of view. It wasn't just selling bikes to make money, you know, buy it for X and sell it for Y and get on with it. Everything we do here is is because I, I felt like I had to feed my family a, a certain thing mm. and I wanted to do it myself so that I could, it wasn't greenwashed and there wasn't corners cut. Uh, I, I was becoming really passionate about animal welfare and I wanted, to, I wanted to see what that was like and I wanted to see, you know, what I could do in that space and, and you know, you read, you know, all the people that run factory farms, they'll tell you their welfare is the best because they've got full-time vets and, you know, all this sort of back and forth. And I thought, I just want to get involved in that and actually see what's happening on, on the ground. And there's, there's all these different steps. So over the course of the first probably year working on the farm with Mr. Michael, my farm hand I've referenced a few times, he's been full-time with me since the beginning, essentially. It became apparent that we needed some like a value structure for the business. Like one of our farms that we used to have pigs on, we don't at the moment because of the rain events we've had recently, but it's out of phone reception. So he'd go down there to move pigs and feed pigs. And if there was something wrong on the farm, he couldn't just call me to go, What's what do you want me to do? He had to be able to troubleshoot and have some autonomy and, and make decisions that he felt were, like was aligned with the company. And just through working with him on the farm, we never had a brainstorming session. There was no marketing meeting. We developed these five pillars of production we call them so the first one's our animal welfare Mm. and like i've said we believe that real welfare has to look at the natural expression of the animal the context of where the animals come from 
in the context of where the animal is now. So a pig wants wallows. That's their natural expression. Let's say they're, they're, they're omnivores. Uh, where have they come from? They've come from forests in Europe and England. And where are they now? Well, they're on pasture in a paddock in Australia. So we need to look at all these things and try, f- and, you know, the answer is not a concrete shed. You know, it's just something a bit more nuanced than that. Our second pillar of production is our environmental backbone. Uh, we, we don't want the environment to pick up the tab. We don't want to have that externalised cost and, and we don't want to be polluting the commons. And so it, it just became really apparent to us that if we got the animal welfare thing right in the context to that animal's natural expression, that the environment was fine by default. Like if you kept your animals moving, which for me, moving your cows all the time is an animal welfare thing because it prevents them from, from getting worms, right? So it's not actually, for me, I don't look at holistic plant graving as an environmental thing first. I look at it as a welfare thing first. Oh, yeah. And it's a natural byproduct that the environment thrives because animal and animals' environment are the same thing. Like you don't have healthy ecosystems without environments in them. So I just thought if you get welfare right, the environment's a, a no-brainer. And I call it our environmental backbone because sometimes you need to have a backbone and you need to go move the cows even though it's hailing outside. Get that motivation to do it. You can hear the fox in the chook shed and it's one in the morning, but you just got to get up and deal with it, right? Yeah. So you've got to grow yeah. a spine and do it. Our third pillar of production is we want to create healing foods for our community, for our families first, and then for our community and our consumers. And th- there's a pattern coming here because I believe if you get the welfare right, and the environment, right, your natural byproduct, your default product yeah, is your healing food, food because yep. you're not using chemicals on your farm, mm-hmm. you're not eroding soil, um, you've got animals that aren't stressed, you know, you've got all the pieces coming together so you've got great quality food for your family and your, your, your community. Step number four is build community. We don't, we're not isolationists, we're not preppers, uh, we're not elitists, you know, it's not about doing everything by ourselves. We, we want friends and family and we, we want people for our kids to play with and uh, we want support networks. Like my father was just in hospital this week for the first time ever and it was just, it's nice having phone calls from people and can we drop a meal and we know your wife's really pregnant, how can we help out? Do you want us to look after the kids? Like, you know, prepping and being an isolationist homestead is sort of a little bit romantic until something goes a little bit wrong. And then you wish you had your family and your friends around you. So number four is build community. And if you get the animals right, look after the environment, create good quality products, then people are going to want it and they're going to become interested. Uh, and we've attracted our community through radical transparency of opening our farm's gates and you know making it a, a, a public forum. And then step number five, pillar number five, Charlie, can you guess what it is? Um, oh, no. Animals, environment, healing, building community. Um, is it self? No, it's make a profit. Oh, make the dollars here, <laughs> make, it, make it all stack up. Yeah, that's right, because you, you can't do it without it. Um, yeah. And so those, though, there are our five pillars, and, and I call them a flywheel because each of them feeds momentum into the next, and then yep. when we make a profit, we grow the enterprise. You know, We can up yep. our chickens and heal more land with more chickens on it, whatever the case might be. So I wrote that on my application for the New South Wales Business Award for Young Business Leader for the Riverina. And I won that event, mm. and it was it was it was a fun night. My wife, wife and I went up to the Witten Malt House. That's where they had the uh, awards. That's event. a local one, is it? Oh, it's a few hours, a couple of hours away. Uh, it's up near uh, Narendra. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. cool, cool, big, um, yeah, cool venue up there, and yeah, great night, and and had a, had a good time. But I don't know. It's, it's it's been a really curious thing, I guess, looking back over my own 
uh, journey over the last 10 years of going from thinking having a mission statement in the bike shop was just a massive toss. And I was, I was like proud, pr- arrogantly proud about the fact we didn't have one. And I'm not like embarrassed about that. I think what sort of mission statement does a bike have? Like we never bought it to be um, <laughs> some, to, some to, noble to then, sort of, yeah. it wasn't yeah. about that. Yeah. But the farm, I, I just feel like that was, that's really telling in our journey because the farm did grow out of value structures. It's not like we've, started this farm and now we have to defend what we're doing like we started this because we wanted those we wanted to achieve those social things and and, and create the healing food and build community so i don't know i've, I've it's been it's been a fun journey but th- those five pillars just offer a lot a lot of clarity to us when we need to make decisions does it tick these boxes <clears throat> no yeah, it's fascinating and, and it makes perfect sense that the uh, you know the animals um, health and their well well being, then you know if they're if they're if they those boxes are getting ticked and their 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 environment is appropriate for them, then they their contribution to the environment is going to be positive. Um, and you can't, as you say, you can't help an anim- a healthy animal is going to be um, you know when it's cared for, it's going to improve the environment, and it can't not be of 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 high you know nutritious density because you know, it's going to be reasonably chemical free, if not totally chemical free. It's going to have a had had a diverse um, diet, and it's going to spend its life in a happy state, which always is good for you know for meat quality. Um, and community that pillar absolutely, um, because you need clients, and if they if if they if they see your um, well, they, it's all about trust, isn't it? You know, and how can you be as trust trustworthy as you are? Uh, well, it's because you, as you say, radical transparency. It's like, well, what's not to trust? And you we, won't turn it off. We've really felt that whole, that saying that uh, you, your friends won't become your customers, but your customers will become your friends. Mm. We've really found that to be true. You know, like I've, we've been in the restaurant industry in, in Albury for quite a long time because we had the fast food chicken shop for 25 years, even though that was sort of a previous life for my family. I was a little kid when that got closed down, running behind the counters, slip and sliding on the greasy floor. Um, and then we've had this new cafe for the, uh, geez, must be eight, 2014, so nine years now, and when we started producing food, we knew all these restaurateurs around town and none of them wanted a bar of it. Like everyone thinks, oh, Jake got a leg into all these restaurants, restaurant owners because he knew all the chefs. I did not all, not a single one of them has given me a shot on, based on the merits of our friendship and what we're trying to achieve. I've had a lot of restaurant accounts, but they've all been they've all been hard fought, and I've had better luck getting into kitchens that were operated by people that I didn't know at all, which I found was really interesting. And now I've struck up fantastic relationships with all these new people that were customers first. You know, it's been yeah, it's a really interesting situation. Let's get back to human health. I'm interested with. Um the success, or that's probably the wrong word, or the sort of the uptake or the interest in your previous events or the ones you've held, you've mm-hmm. got you've got more um, more coming on. You've got the uh, the Quantum Health Summit, yep, on fifth of November as well. Yes, um, why is that taken on? You know, much more I guess prominence by the look of things than previously. Is it? Is it because people are going? Oh, we want to know more about health. Are you going? Is, is health becoming more of a thing that you're more conscious of, even though you were clearly a, it was clearly a catalyst for what you're doing now? Why? Because you, you could just keep doing eggs and pork and beef and having a lovely time. Why the 
why is there a sense of responsibility <clears throat> to you know bring doctors on board and start making join, um, uh, joining the dots? Well, I don't think it's a sense of uh, necessary responsibility for us, but the farm business is really an extension of our interests, like my wife and myself, and the journey that we're on. Like our our marketing uh, plan is just documenting what we're doing and what we're going through. So when I have a, you know, when I when I finally realised and cracked the code about how toxic all these seed oils are for us and that you're far better off eating animal fats that we've been eating for thousands of years. Yeah. I just thought that was amazing. So I just started posting that on our social media. That started going out on our uh, mailing list to our, like our EDMs. Uh, you know, I started blogging about it and it just, I can't help but just live and breathe what I'm interested in instead of forcing some contrived plan together. And we're, my, my wife and I have just, you know, we've experienced uh, such great healing and health in our life through going towards an animal-based diet and cutting out all these processed foods, re- refined oils, all these things that so interesting to us. And our whole customer base is people that have had these same stories and we're also engaged and passionate about it. So they, they just make for great events. They're big. Um, they're real woo-woo. <laughs> they're, they're fun. So I don't know, How much woo-woo? Oh, there's a bit like this quantum health one's going to be more woo-woo than any of the others because it's, it's all about light, uh, light and magnetism really. So we're getting, we're getting pretty woo-woo. Talking about red light, you know, I, I wear the red glasses, normally the red lens glasses of an evening and you see people that might be wearing them on social media and you can look at them and think, you know, they're a bit crazy. And for sure uh, we are. But my whole thing is experiment on yourself. Mm. Um, you know, you get on Twitter. Like I know I reference social media a lot, but I spend a lot of time on social media, and that's our whole. Um, that's that's the way of achieving radical transparency with our customers. There's vegan doctors that have PhDs on why veganism is the best diet, and then you've got carnivore doctors with PhDs why carnivore diet's the best diet. So you could just get bogged down in reading studies for the rest of your life and fighting about it so i'm not into it i don't i, I sound like a bit of a um anti-sciencer i guess but i just don't care like i just i've done veganism for a little while and saw how i felt and i felt no different to when i was eating whatever i was eating beforehand and then i did a meat-based diet and i felt fantastic and that's all i need to know like i don't need to yeah. read all these different you ground things. you ground truth that so yeah. when you do the for us when we did the light thing i met a dentist out of sydney dr jalal Khan, who's going to be presenting at our quantum health summit i met him at our beef initiative event and he told me about it was actually interesting charlie well hey, was that one of the private dinners that we did at like one of the dinner clubs at a restaurant that i met him and what's his name jalal khan j-a-l-a-l-a-h-n he's a great guy he was talking to me, he said, Jake, tell me about your beef. He sat across me and he had his red lenses on and it was a low-light environment at this nice <laughs> restaurant. He said, tell me about your beef. And, and I, I said, oh, you know, the, I love my cows. I've got this African breed of cow called Nguni. I'm crossing them over pure blood Jersey cows and I've got this real crazy breeding program that makes no sense to anyone except for me. And he said, do you love it? I said, I do love it. But you know what the biggest suck is? Is that it just takes so long. I said, I'm a, I'm a relatively young guy. I'm in my 30s. I've probably got like, you know, 20, 25 generations of mucking around in my life before my time's up and, you know, I'd like to have more. And he just looked me straight in the eyes. He goes, I can help you live another 10 years. I'm like, well, okay, tell me. You got me. 
Tell me. <laughs> and he hands me his glasses, and I'm thinking, here we go. Woo woo. You know, yeah. I'm living another 10 years because I'm wearing red lens glasses. But it was really interesting because he's, he's pilled me on the light. So get out of your fluoros, your fake lights. Mm. Start respecting daylight hours, so your, your circadian rhythm. Protect yourself from these bad lights. And I lost six kilos in about two months without working out, without changing my diet. Just because I, you, you started wearing those glasses? I guess that, that's all I did. Yeah. I didn't change my diet. I didn't, start, didn't drink less. I didn't work out more. Like I, I eat pretty well. I work out a bit. And, that, and that was in the evenings. That was your... your so I started, your... what I started doing was getting up and watching the sunrise outside yep. uh, every morning. With, mm-hmm. So we get up as a family. Our boys come outside with us. They actually wake us up. They're, they're the ones that uh, instigate it now. And then when it gets dark, if there's a TV on in the house or if, um, if we've replaced all the lights in the house now. So a house is like the red light district if you drive past it. <laughs> it's a bit... So, 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 oh, so at night, so when, so when you would light. normally turn lights on because it's dark, you've yep. actually got red globes. Yep. Orange, yeah, amber. Orange. It's not as full Yeah, long. right. But I, yeah, I lost a bit of um, weight that I needed to shift, started sleeping a bit better. My grandma went to go see Dr. Max, who we've spoken about, and she hasn't been able to sleep through a night for about 30 years without getting up and tossing and turning and just having a horrid night's sleep. Mm. And, um, watching the sunrise and wearing blue blockers for two days. She slept through on the second night, uh, first time in decades. You know, So it's not about, for us, like I, I know, like I sound like a bit of a heretic, but I don't really care what the studies say or what doctors' opinions are when it's your lived experience and you're not hurting anybody. Like it's hard to think that you can be hurting yourself by watching the sunrise, right? Um, I'm just really excited about it. And this is what my animals do. My animals get the sunrise and the sunset. They like it. So... Uh, this yeah, I, I've started wearing them oh, a month or two ago, mm-hmm. and not religiously every night because sometimes I just forget. I mean, so yeah, cool. it's just one of those things. But if I see it and go, oh shit, I'll put them back on. I reckon I'm actually am getting better sleep. Mm-hmm. The, you know, when there'll be a week when I forget to do it, and then you know, and then there's a few days that I've actually got them on, and then I'll go. I, I reckon, and I, I should start taking a little diary of of sleep versus mm. spectacles on at night. Um, my sense is there's a correlation. I reckon I've been sleeping better. And I, I bet you something that you this is something that everyone can notice. I think is you realise how sensitive you are to fake light. Mm. Like once you've worn your blue blockers for a couple of weeks, if you yeah. walk inside of a shopping centre, it's a full blown. Like walk into Woolies, it's an assault. I've been visiting Dad in the hospital the last couple of days here. Horrible environment, just absolutely grotesque. All those fluoros. Mm. Um, just so so challenging, not to mention, you know, the sludge they feed them. Just, you know, carbohydrates and sugar. That's all you get fed in hospital. It's hilarious. Well, it's cheap. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it doesn't kill them while they're in hospital anyway. Maybe yeah, when better. you're in there for something acute, it doesn't matter if you have a little bit of bread for breakfast, does it? Like, now, Jay, Jake, I'm not conscious of the time. I we're just going we're going to finish this up. And I've really enjoyed our chat. I love that we got a bit operational there and a bit, you know, like because I, I love just exploring, you know, and, and, the, and the value in sharing your wins and lessons is uh, invaluable. Um, we're going to do a little Q&A now, just a quick one, 10 minutes. You Can, can you do sure. that? Yeah, happily. Do you need to slip off and grab your, grab your glasses to put on? Oh, they're it's... at home. <laughs> I can even bring mine down yeah. from home, actually. Um, and we'll do a quick, we'll have a little stretch. We'll do a 10-minute um, Q&A, pretty standard couple of questions to answer. Um and for those who want to access that Q&A, you'll have to just join up to our Patreon membership, our lovely Patreon community, uh, um, to, to listen 
I hope it's ten dollars. Ten dollars a month. I hope it's worth it. Well, look, if yours isn't worth it, there's a whole lot of other good stuff in there that uh, that may well be worth it. So, um, for ten dollars a month, you'll get uh, transcriptions of um, uh, of interviews and a monthly webinar with one of our guests at least each month, and the uh, a bit of video content from me as well, um, and a few other things. So. Jake, that's been fantastic. I've been lining you up for some time now. Finally got down here. We had a false start or two, didn't we? I think a little while ago, mm. a month or two ago. But um, nearly had another one today, but um, all good. Fascinating to see what you're doing here. I can now put it into context because social media doesn't you know, do it justice just because you don't quite get the, you know, the, the nuance and everything. But it's fantastic to be here. And um, thanks again. And we'll, we'll check in in five or well, three minutes. You up for that? Yeah, can you, can you do it? Okay. You're probably just warming up. Yeah, I'm ready. It is getting cool, but he's just warming it's up. It's getting cool. Yeah. Jake, awesome. Thanks, mate. And next week on The Regenerative Journey, our guest is Max Galhain, Dr. Max Galhain. I interviewed him back-to-back with um, Jake, who you just listened to right now, um, down there in Aubrey. He's doing, I don't know if it's called an internship, but he's certainly doing some time down there with another local doctor who's just, you know, all over paleo, carnivore, good nutritious food, lots of other really interesting, um, just healthy habits like, you know, how much light you're getting in the day and cutting out blue blue light, all sorts of really good, solid, sound, simple um, health practices that can get you um, living a much better life. So Max is next week on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Reese Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.